Hi there, professionals. Thanks for joining me on my new exciting podcast series, Industry Insights with me, DPDS. This series will take a look at stories from entertainment industry professionals from all sectors of the industry. It will be compiled with various levels of experience and will really indulge in a journey of their careers and utilize their stories and experience to help influence current professionals in the industry or total newcomers wanting to get into the industry. If you are new here, thanks for joining us. I'm grateful to have you listening. If you enjoy the episode, please consider subscribing connect our community across social media for those that have been here before welcome back here's what we've got in store for you today well hello hello good evening good morning good night wherever you are i don't know what time frame or what time zone you're in but welcome to industry insights with me dpds uh excited to have you back and i'm really really excited for today's uh episode we have a fantastic professional in the industry and we're looking at a different sector uh today which i'm really excited about so i'm going to get them on the show um if there was a live audience i would say this would, they would go wild i'm sure I make loads and loads of noise um, but I will welcome to the show uh, stand-up comic Tommy Drake. Welcome to this podcast. Hello. Good afternoon for me. Good evening for you, in case anybody cares when we're recording this. But uh, hello. Thank you for having me. Well, we are very, very happy to have you. Um, where, where are you right now in the world? Uh, I live just north of Houston, Texas, and a place called The Woodlands. Woodlands. And... Uh, yeah, so uh, and you're I'm originally in, uh, from Danville, California. Is that correct? Yes, that is correct. And Danville is very close to San Francisco. So okay, so um, yeah, I had no idea where Danville is, but San Francisco, <laughs> I, I know where that is. <laughs> and how how long have you lived in in Texas? I have been here in Texas. Uh, it'll be 26 years this year. Wow. So, yeah. what made you make the move down to to Texas from from California? You know, I grew, I grew up in San Francisco and, and stand-up comedy was huge when I was a kid, in particular in the city of San Francisco. And, and growing up there was wonderful, uh, but also also horrible because other people were moving to San Francisco to do stand-up comedy when I was young. I, all I wanted to do was get as far away as possible because that's <laughs> what you do, right? When you grow up, you're like, I don't want to be here. Yeah. So I moved I moved to New York for a couple of years uh, and and started doing comedy there. And then after I sort of had a, had a career, I met a woman, uh, uh, Becky, my wife. And when we got married, I moved her back to California for a little while. And she had been living here uh, just North of Houston before I met her. And after a while there, she's like, you can do your job anywhere. Let's go back to where I was living. Cause it's, it's nicer. And I honestly, I didn't want to move to Houston, but uh, I trusted my wife and it was a, uh, it was a great move for me because it was uh, low cost of living. Yeah. And it was right about the time in entertainment where you didn't have to live in New York or San Francisco anymore. You know, it's like you could do it from anywhere in the U S at about that time. That's when that was starting. So it ended up being a good move for me. I would have never guessed that I would tell you that I like living just outside of Houston, you know, 30 years ago, but now I'll right. tell you, it's, I'm so happy I live here. Yeah. I still haven't made it to that, that part. So hopefully uh, next year or this year, I'll be able to try and get there. So we kind of touched to obviously uh, introduce you as a stand up comic. So that's your, your profession. That's what you're doing. Um, and yes. that, that sector of the arts. Uh, and how long have you, you've been a you know a professional comic uh technically i've been a professional stand-up for 30 years uh, wow. but it's been it's been like my full-time only gig for about 22 or 23 of those 30 years okay so when you were first starting off you were kind of doing something else yeah, when I was first starting off, like lots of entertainers, I was also acting and modeling and doing lots of voiceover <laughs> and doing kids' birthday parties and doing whatever I could do okay. during the day, uh, theme park shows, stunt shows, all that stuff. Yeah. Uh, just whatever I could audition for and get along with doing stand-up every night. Perfect. So going back so 30 years, uh, it seems like a long time. It's an amazing uh, amount of time to be doing that profession. Um, yeah, you know, we, we, we know each other and I feel, I feel really old when I say 30 years, but I don't feel like people would guess that if they saw me, you know, not, it's not like I look particularly young. I just still feel like I just started in the business. Yeah. Like, I don't feel like I'm a, 
I'm an old 30 years, you know? Well, that's great. And you can always keep learning, right? And you're always learning and it's evolving. Entertainment involves every, every week, every day it's changing. And, and Oh yeah. I got, I got, I got better yesterday. I did. I, <laughs> did. I did. I did some work and I had a little uh, set last night and then I got better at this yesterday after 30 years. So nice. I learned so, stuff. Um, in regards to starting out in the street, what was your first gig? How did you start? Did you, for a comic or anybody listening and they're thinking like, how do I become a stand-up comic or is something they've been thinking about being a comedian? Is there, did you do any training, like any education in the arts or, you know, how do you become a comic? Um, the, the closest thing I had to training for stand-up comedy was just normal public school, uh, English class and drama class learning to read, learning to write, learning to uh, speak, speech class. I didn't have any formal training. Um, I had some pretty uh, solid acting teachers when I was young, but acting doesn't always uh, transfer over to stand-up comedy. And my first times on stage as a stand-up were open mic, open podium night, you know, uh, where little bars would let amateurs go on stage for a couple of minutes. And that's how it started. And my entertainment started before that. Um, as a kid, I was obsessed with uh, magic and juggling. And there were a lot of street performers, uh, buskers, where uh-huh. I grew up. So at the age of about 12, I started doing a juggling magic show at kids' birthday parties. And uh, that, uh, I, I would write routines because when you bought, when you purchased magic tricks, they would have these sort of canned routines in there for you to do. And I would rewrite them for myself. And I didn't realize at the time that I was writing stand up, but some other older entertainers, entertainers saw me do, uh, you know, kids party shows and said, you should try to do stand up and try to not juggle and do magic because you're, you're a pretty good comedy writer. So that's what yeah. took me to the amateur nights, open mic nights, open podium nights. And, um, I still do those, by the way, where I live in Houston, there are some venues that are actually allowed to have uh, uh, like an open mic show right now. And I went to one last yeah. night, you know, okay. and I did, I did five minutes and there was a guy that went up before me and it was his fir- a young guy. It was his first time ever <laughs> on stage doing comedy, you know, and for, for me, it was probably around my 11,500th time. And I went up right after him at amateur night and we were both working on new stuff you know right and and did that bring back like watching somebody for their first time did that bring back memories of can you remember your first time your first stand-up or whether it be you know amateur or what it was how how that was and how did it go absolutely i remember my first open mic and it was at a place called foo bars in uh, walnut creek california and i had to go up first because i was underage and i had three minutes and i got zero laughs. Um, (laughs) but I was so, I was so nervous and so excited. And afterwards I was just so thrilled to have done it. And and I'm really glad I got that kind of, kind of relief. It was out the way, even if maybe it didn't go so well. Oh yeah. Yeah. And, and the funny thing was, I didn't even know at the time that actually it, it, it went really well for what it was. I didn't get any laughs, but everybody listened. (laughs) you know and uh and i you know and it was a i I was obviously a kid going up on stage in an adult environment so i think i got their attention in that respect early on and uh you know fortunately um there were a few local comics that were encouraging after i got off stage and said hey you should come back that was great good job well, that, oh, that's encouraging. What would you say to somebody, uh, like start out the, the guy that you saw last night? The first, I don't know how, how did his show go? Was it, was it good? Was uh, it you good? know, it was great. And it was just a, it was just a set, you know, a, a, about a four minute set and it went, uh, it went well. And what I would say to him is do about another 250 open mic sets like you did tonight. And then if you have any questions, we can talk. I just say, get on stage as much as possible. And I suppose um, being a comic, you you quickly figure out what works for you and what doesn't, right? I suppose you you how, how do you measure your success as a comic? Is it from laughter or is it because not all comedy is you know roaring hilarious? It can be very different. So how do you measure your material? Um, a, a lot of times it's from response, and you're right; it's not always laughter. Uh, you know, some of my favorite comics growing up didn't get like 
six laughs a minute. You know, they didn't have lots of punchlines, but they were just super interesting to listen to. Yeah. Um, you want to be, how do I, how do I measure it? Um, you know, by, uh, at this point in my career, by the, you know, by how excited I get about telling the part of my act I'm getting to about telling the story or about doing the line or about doing the joke and about how well the audience uh, receives it, you know? So it is about response and it's not always about the biggest laugh, but it's about a, a positive response or you can feel an audience relating to you. Right. Like engaging with you. Yeah. Yeah. But it's, you know, and that's sort of, that's me, you know, over 10,000 shows into it, you know, uh, you know, for, for young comics, for the guy that's going on stage for the first time, I'd say just try to listen to the audience while you're talking and let yourself sort of naturally uh, adjust your act and go up as much as possible, you know? Yeah. And I mean, you say you've done like 10, how many shows do you think you've done? Well, here, here, the- here's where I get, I get that number. I've been very fortunate that uh, when I, uh, when I, from the time that I started, I've had a, a pretty full schedule. I realized early on that telling people you're a comic is, is great until they start asking you questions about it. <laughs> you know, like, Oh, do you <laughs> right. make a living doing that? Uh, you know, have you been on television? And when you're a young comic, uh, and the best thing you could say when somebody tells you they're a comic or an entertainer is, Oh, what are you working on right now? When's your next performance, you know, yeah. as opposed to you make a living doing that. So yeah. I, I realized I was always so proud to say, well, I have, I have a performance tonight. So if I could make sure that every single night of my career, I had a performance, it didn't, didn't matter. Really. It didn't matter if I was on TV. It didn't matter if I was making money. Didn't, none of that mattered, you know? So it was all about having a, a, a set every night. And for the last about 25 years, I've averaged over 400 performances a year. And before that, I was at right around 300. Uh, right. as a stand that, that, that's it that's incredible yeah pretty yeah. much pretty much one show a night and and lately it's been more than one show a night until the uh pandemic came along so uh i got uh and when i when i totaled them all up looking at old calendars and everything about a year ago i was over eleven thousand performances which is a lot for wow. for any career you know but yeah. especially as a stand-up because you do get a little better Right. I, I really wish I would have uh, kept track of the amount of shows that I've performed throughout the years. I, I'm sure the number is, is quite large. You have, done, have done that. thousands of shows. Thousands yeah, thousands. Of but also it's different for, uh, you know, for singers and dancers than it is for comedians. I've been, you know, I've been, I've been very sick. I've been injured. I could still do a stand-up comedy show, you know. Yeah. They're, they're, at a that, certain point, the voice needs a break yeah sometimes we can try and muddle through but uh when it when it goes it goes and there's not a lot you can do about it um leading me on to say thousands of shows like same for me when i was performing show and it was you know uh every night or a large period of time when you're delivering say the same material the same show how do you motivate yourself uh to keep it fresh to be like you said excited about performing and and making sure you always give and engage in uh and fun performance um listening i i think is the biggest actually listen to the audience actually listen to other performers on stage if you're on stage with other performers because uh you know uh the same line will evolve you know yeah. when we were kids a lot of times we would do shows community theater where you spend months rehearsing and then you do two performances of the show or something like that uh, when you get older and you do the same show 150, 200 times, 600 times, sometimes you don't even learn how to deliver a line until you've done it a couple hundred times. And then one night yeah. you're like, oh, wait a minute. It worked. Now I got it right. <laughs> well, that night where you get it right or the next performance, when you figure it out, you have a lot of energy with that delivery. And the trick is, I think, to say something for the thousand thousandth time as if you're saying it for the first time. First time. That's great. And I always remember a director of mine always saying that, like, even the rehearsal, do it like it's the first time that you're, you're doing it. And you're always going to keep challenging yourself and learning. So that's, that's great advice. Yeah. Stand-up comedians have another advantage. If, if there's a part of my show that I'm just 
exhausted when I get there. Like I'm so sick of doing this part. I'm allowed to take it out and change it. <laughs> I yeah. don't have to talk to anybody, you know? So we, we, we're fortunate in that respect. And I recommend to other stand-up comedians, other creatives that are listening to this, even, even musicians, if you're playing original music, if there's a song that you're tired of playing, if there's a bit that you're tired of doing, put it on the shelf for a while. Doesn't mean you're throwing it away, but you're in charge. Take it out and put something that you're excited about in there, even if it's not as effective. You know? Yeah, absolutely. I think this downtime that I've had, obviously years and years I've always been, you know, given the music what I was going to sing but before I retired, like what this is what you're going to sing. And now my own personal, I'm singing songs that mean something to me or I enjoy singing. It's such a different feeling when you're, you're in it and you're performing something that you love and you're excited about. It's, it's very different. Yeah. When you're, when you get to say what you want to say, when you get to sing yeah. what you want to sing, it's a, it's a, it's a big deal. And I think it's so funny and it happens in comedy and I know it happens in music too. There's, there are bits that I wrote that I'm proud of that are on albums that people like, and I am just sick and tired of delivering them. <laughs> you know, <it's> 10, <laughs> 11,000 shows in, there are some bits that you get tired of and it, you're fortunate if you get tired of it before the audience gets tired of watching you do it, you know? So a lot of this is about your previous question, but it's about the energy you have when you're delivering the bit, you know? And I, you know, I wonder, you know, was Sinatra, you know, sick of singing my way because he had to? Or did he sing yeah. my way, you know, the last time as if he was singing it the first time? First time. Yeah. Yeah. It's a good thought. Awesome. I mean, um, great conversation already. I'm, I'm really enjoying this. How everybody else is going back to, you know, back before this all happened. So b before you entered uh, the entertainment industry, uh, was that something that you'd always wanted to do growing up or had you aspired a, a different career before you became an entertainer? You know, I was fortunate. I knew as a, as a as a child. I actually had a, a, a teacher in uh, elementary school, which is uh, which was kindergarten through grade six, where I grew up. And he was my grade four teacher, named uh, Dan Tingley. And I didn't remember writing it, but I wrote a "What do you want to be when you grow up?" essay at the, at the age of nine that said I was going to be a stand up comic. Wow. You know, and and not just like an entertainer or an actor. You know, I said I was going to be a stand-up comedian at, at that age. And he had come, he's seen me perform later on. He's one of the few, you know, primary school teachers that actually sort of kept in touch with friend of the family. And he brought it up to my mom that I had written this essay that I, that I wanted to be a stand-up comic at the age of nine. But it was, you know, it was a different world. And where I grew up, stand-up comedy was a very accessible job back then. You know, right. and I don't think if I was a nine-year-old now, I would write an essay saying I want to be a stand-up comic because it's, a, it's sort of a different world, you know. Right. At the age of nine now, I'd probably say, oh, I'm going to be a famous YouTuber or something like that. Yeah. So it's weird because I had this same conversation with, with somebody else when we were leaving school. Like, what, what was it you wanted to be when we grew up? And yes, we wanted to be performers, but it, the career itself wasn't so accessible. And I remember I was talking, we had always had a chat with like a career advisor. And I'd say, well, I want to be a, a singer, a actor. And they'd be like, mm, are you sure about that? Like, <laughs> why don't you look at this? And it's amazing how many like from my age group that went through that um luckily we were strong enough to like know we know what we wanted to do but it was like a not an accessible thing especially in some parts of the country so we all had different aspirations and then we've kind of found it that way but it was a kind of taboo career that uh, people would be like mm, not sure about but you're you're talking about people that did find careers as well after they were told <laughs> it's going to be difficult yeah you know yeah, but we, we were imagining, say someone wasn't such a strong character or really didn't know exactly, but they, they kind of wanted to, but kind of then got persuaded or pushed into another another path. So I, I wonder how many people that's happened to over the years. Uh, it would be interesting to find out. Oh, I, I, have, I have no doubt that potentially the best uh, performers ever to live were talked out of it at a very young age. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. My, my, my grandma was always like, are you, what are you doing, son? When are you going to get a real job? <laughs> That leads me to the one of the questions that I've been asking this series on here, uh, the myth around entertainment. I kind of, you kind of touched on it a little bit earlier oh, yeah. about, about not being a real career. 
um and i've been asking my guests like have you experienced that and like you mentioned earlier as a as a comic experience those kind of attitudes towards it and how would we go about as a industry to kind of debunk those uh, rumors on it not being a real career because clearly it is a career and we're, we're successful at making it a lifelong career look at you for how long you've been in the industry so have you had any of those experiences uh yeah Absolutely. And I, and I have been fortunate where, where what I was touching on earlier, pretty much every night of my career, if anybody socially was sort of trying to call me on it, I'd say, well, you know, I have a show tonight. <laughs> if you can't make yeah. it, I have one tomorrow, you know, and that, yeah. and that would sort of, sort of diffuse it a little bit. But there's a huge uh, lower middle class, middle class and upper middle class of entertainers. It's, it's a lot bigger than people think. You know, there are a lot of people that make a very comfortable living that aren't famous. You know, yeah. they, do, they do shows every night. And if you've ever seen, uh, you know, if you've ever seen, uh, you know, a Broadway show, a show on the West End, a show in a place like Las Vegas, you're, you're watching career entertainers that are, that are making a nice living performing that are not household names that are not that are not famous and do you, you, know? do you think sometimes that's what people when they think of entertainment they just think of uh you know celebrities and if you're then you've made it if you're a celebrity whereas you know like you mentioned there are these this core group of people an industry that happens all around the world with with people having very very lucrative and successful careers yeah you know i think i think people uh, people assume that if you're if you're an entertainer or a performer that that uh you know, that fame is the goal, you know, yeah. and it isn't uh, for, for most of the entertainers I know. I know some that really want to be famous and, and good for them, but for most of the entertainers I know, and a lot of the people that I know that you know and that you've worked with, our goal was to really make a living doing something yeah. we love, you know, and I, I, and I think, you know, as far as people that don't think that, that uh, you know that entertainment is is a real job or, or a real career. I think that those people don't realize how much entertainment they experience going through their normal days uh, uh, of yeah. life. You know, there are people that say that entertainment isn't a real career that you know are watching uh, are, are listening to to music and that are that are watching you know uh, the, t- the tv shows, you, you know, know? And it, yeah and, and it's 100%. well it, you know it is a career and it's a career for the people that didn't record that music and that aren't watching that tv show i, th- I think the closest i've probably been to fame my mom when she uh, when i was working on ships as a singer and she came to to cruise for the first time um i remember i did the the production show and then the next day I was walking around the ship and everyone knew who i was waving to me like hello and my mom was like oh my <laughs> and I was like, "Yeah, I'm like the big deal. Like, <laughs> like four thousand people on the ship knew who little old me was. So that's probably as close as I got to it. I mean, it felt great for a while, and then you couldn't go anywhere without having to talk to people, which is part of the job. So it was quite interesting for my mom to see. She was like, "Wow." Yeah, you know, and, and for for me, there was some of that. You know, early on as as a comic, I'd get a little uh, spot on television or something, or I'd get to do a big tour, and I friends and family would come out and and. And it's always, you're always proud to sort of show them because then they don't have to worry about you anymore. But then afterwards, it's always like, ah, you'd say you finally made it. You're like, no, I made it. You know, I made it a long time ago. It's just, this is your definition of I've made it. Yeah, And you being recognized by the guests on a ship meant very little to you, you know, but it meant so much to your family yeah, my dad was, and he didn't come to see me for for a, a long time. He didn't travel for a long time. When he was, he's just, he's still in all of it. And he still talks about it now. He's like, yeah, like they, all these people know him. He's like the big deal. I was like, thanks, dad. So proud. Well, it, you know, so, it, it's, uh, it's funny. What's important to people that aren't in entertainment for us is not what's important to yeah, us. Like <laughs> just just trying to go and get a coffee without being mobbed. It's uh, <laughs> Perfect. So throughout uh, your career, yes. um, have you had any hurdles that you faced, you know, personally faced and, and it's been challenging and, you know, how have you overcome them? How have you managed to navigate your way through challenging times? I mean, apart from the one that we're in right now. Um, yeah, yes, I, I, I have. And I think that, uh, that uh, I'm very thankful for 
challenging times. I think challenging times taught me how to work. Um, you know, I, w- I was, I didn't realize how fortunate I was as a young person. I had pain. I had pain performances on my calendar all the time. I was just very lucky at falling into paid work. And as I got older and started uh, started making more money, there were there were numerous times where jobs just uh, just disappeared or venues went away or you know I had I had very little job security. Mm-hmm. But those are the times that I actually uh, got better at what I was doing that I realized when I had to be competitive again, when I didn't have work on the calendar for a minute is when I really stepped up my, during the day game, my, when I'm not on stage game, you know, and it's, it is, you can't, you can't do anything to become more talented, but you can be, you can be the hardest worker that steps on that stage, you know, And I would have never learned how to work if I didn't go through some tough times because it was too easy for me at first. Cause I, I got, I got the job. I got the part. That was too easy. I needed to learn how to work. Yeah. And what we were, I was talking again, somebody, the hard part for, for me as a performer or some other part is, is that audition circuit. It's actually, that's where you need to put the work in and, and really work on your craft and making sure you're right for the part. Uh, and when you get the, the gig, that's a bonus. Like it's, it's working on that craft. And when you say when times are harder, you're not maybe getting work. It's looking at what you can do to improve yourself. So when you do get the chance, you're at the peak of, of, of what you are and you can get that job. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. And, and the, uh, you know, I, I think one of the difficult parts about being an entertainer is the, the skills that it takes to do a great job at the audition don't always translate to doing a great job after getting the job. <laughs> there are some people that are wonderful <laughs> auditioners <laughs> and are, yeah, I mean, we we all had our go-to song, which we were amazing. Exactly. Be like, could you sing as part of this? They were like, oh no, um, I've definitely got a few of those songs that I'm amazing at. You know, and then there are people that are horrible auditioners that are the the yeah. greatest when you hire them. You know, so it is so yeah. that 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 works both ways. You know, I I think I I used to come overcome with when I first began auditioning with nerves. It just nerves really used to get me a lot, and I I could even see myself walking into the you know the rehearsal room, um, the sheet music just shaking in my hand, like trying to oh, give wow. it to uh, the pianist and and give the the tempo. It took me a long time to just get rid of that, but it's it's a it's a difficult environment. Yeah, I had a. A, a voice. I did a lot of voiceover when I was younger. I had a voiceover, uh, a, a director play back an audition for me. And he goes, this is not the tone of your voice in this audition. I just wanted to let you know your voice is like quite a bit higher in this audition than it is when you're actually performing. And I'm not, not happy with your performance, but you need to work on this audition. And I realized it was because I was so nervous at the audition that I wasn't breathing enough. My heart rate was fast, you know, and I'm, my voice is higher when I'm auditioning because I'm scared. <laughs> yeah. No yeah, breathing. Yeah. You know, uh, so I, I, I want to go back to one you, thing though, really quick. Uh, I'm sorry. I hate, yeah. I hate to cut you off, but I want to go back to one thing. No, you're um, fine. The work that you do when you're not getting paid is the most important thing for me in my career. Being the most prepared person at the open mic, open podium night, being the, even if you're a horrible auditioner, being the most prepared person at the audition, you might not be the most talented, you might not look the part, but you're the only one that isn't reading the lines off a piece of paper, you know? And that's, if it, when you learn to do everything that you can do to help you get the part or to help you do a better job, you know, in the middle of a run of a show, in the middle of a tour, when you're doing things to get better and everybody else isn't, I think that's when you really establish yourself in the entertainment industry. Yeah, for sure. How often do you, um, you know, like you mentioned, watching back some footage of yourself, how often do you review your material and, and get to watch yourself i know as singers dancers we we can instantly look and hear the sound or see what we're doing to be able to correct it so how often do you watch back your performance and try to improve or make tweaks or or be happy with uh, what you're doing? not enough anymore 
And I'm really glad you asked that question because it's an important question. And uh, you should be watching back or listening back to every performance if you can. I don't do that. I do audio record uh, just about every performance. I video record maybe 20% of my performances. And I do watch those back and listen to those back most of the time. Uh, but I think one of the hardest things to do in entertainment is watch yourself or listen to yourself. It, yeah. is, it is difficult. And there are times where listening back to good audio of what uh, I think everybody believed was a good performance. I can't even make it all the way through. And I guess that's, yeah. that's why we're listening. You know, I called my second album. Hey, sorry about that first CD. <laughs> because I listened <laughs> to my first uh, comedy album just to make sure I wasn't repeating any material on the second one. And it, I was exhausted listening to a recording of myself from years earlier because I've improved so much since I made the recording, you know? And yeah. uh, so if you're, if you're going to review video and audio, do it as soon as possible after the show. If you're reviewing something from a month ago, I, I think if you've had a lot of performances since that last performance, I think it's a little bit of a waste of time. But if you're reviewing it within a week of the performance, I think it's the greatest tool that you, that you have. Yeah, no. And it's weird. Um, you know, like say we're so, we critique ourselves, or we kind of know what we want to sound as a product or what it should sound like. And people could be like, no, you sounded great. But to us, it's like, no, it wasn't great. Like I, I know, but it's so funny how many people are like, no, you sound great. And you're just like, no, no, no. Yeah. You know, and they don't care as much about your performance as you do, you know? So to, so to them, you sounded great, but, but to you, you still, you know, it still is surprising to me people in the entertainment industry when they do have to review uh their self back they're like oh no 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 i hate my voice like but for me i've worked so long and that's that's what i'm with every day i i kind of know what i sound like and what i should sound like so it's not cringeable for me to listen back to my voice because i know what it sounds like but i still see so many people like no no no, i don't want to hear it i want to hear which i it's it's mind well it's funny and it's also sometimes they really don't want to hear it but sometimes in the in the comedy business it's an excuse uh to be a little bit lazy. <laughs> you know, I have, I have comedian friends like, ah, no, I don't want to listen to that. I'm like, well, we could be working right now. We could be making your show better right now by listening to this. And they're like, you know, and, and their excuse is, ah, I just can't, you know. And I use that excuse. I used it with you a few minutes ago. I said, ah, it's hard to watch. But I know if I watch it, yeah. I will get better. Yeah, for sure. So um, talking about, uh, people that maybe influence your career, um, especially within the the comic realm. Um, has there en- been anyone that you've really looked up to or has influenced your career? Maybe they've even helped you uh, to become, you know, the successful professional you are today. What kind of influence do you take or is there a, a specific yeah, person? Yeah, we're, we're very fortunate in the stand-up comedy world that a lot of, uh, a lot of stand-up comedy shows involve a headliner who is the is the person that you came to see doing about a, a an hour long performance, 45 minute performance. But before that headliner, you have opening acts like a musical concert. You know, you have a couple of lesser known acts in front of that headliner. So when I started doing comedy, I was the host of the show, but the, the person that I was introducing and the person that everybody came to see was very well established. So there are a couple of comedians I worked with early on. There's a fellow named Will Durst, who hopefully people listening to this have never heard of. If you look him up online, you'll, you'll realize, oh, that guy is a, is a comedic genius. <laughs> and I got, to, I got to work with him personally. I got to open for him. And I learned so much from working with Will Durst. There's also a, a performer that's a, that was a wonderful kids party performer, theme park performer, juggler, magician, ventriloquist comedian named Ace Miles. I was very fortunate to work with, with this guy when I was very young. And he's one of the guys that taught me how to be a professional taught me how to get a lot of work done off stage. In the comedy world, I got very fortunate to work with people like Brian Regan and Jeff Dunham, the ventriloquist, who were uh, consummate professionals, always working on new material. I learned a lot uh, from working with them. And, you know, and as a, as a young kid, just watching TV and listening to, 
to comedy albums, people like uh, Steve Martin and, and Richard Pryor and George Carlin yeah. were, were a big influence on me, but they were a big influence on all of stand-up comedy, really, you know, but I've, I've got, I got to work with so many, I could list off probably 50 or 60 people that I opened for in comedy clubs that I learned things from watching. You know, I have a, I have a good friend named Billy D. Washington, who, uh, who you might know, who also works on, uh, on uh, carnival cruise ships a lot. And I learned so much and I, I've known Billy D most of my career i've learned so much from being friends with that guy and watching him perform and watching his process you know so and these are these are people at all uh at all levels of of fame <laughs> but they're all you know they're all just these yeah. full-time workhorses that have done thousands of shows and that that started a little bit before i did so they're a little bit further along in this journey that's so great to hear you say that about um, you know learning from other comics and professionals. Um, I think sometimes the performers they don't want to take something from it. They, they they think that they've got it or they're not willing to learn or change. So I think it's great and inspiring that you have taken so much and learned so much from them to make you you know your act and who you are today. Well, I, I love I love being inspired and I learn stuff watching. I I wasn't the the open. Uh, the open mic night I went to uh, last night, I, I wasn't the most experienced comic on on that open mic, but I was one of them. You know, I was probably the second or third most experienced comic on a list of 25 comics. And I learned watching young comic, watching amateurs, watching young professionals. Last night, I learned by watching, you know, and I was inspired by by watching them, you know, when you watch somebody that's, that's come along in the business two generations after you, they have a little bit of a different style. They have a different way of looking at things. They have different influences. And that, you know, inspired me. I, I wrote, I wrote more after that performance than I did before it <laughs> because I was inspired by watching yeah. everybody else. So a, a great takeaway from that, you would say, is you can always learn. You can always be inspired and keep learning. And I think that will keep you fresh. And You're and never done learning. Right? You're never done creating. You're, you're, never, you're yeah. never done writing. If you are, it's like, a, what do they say? They say sharks, when they, when they stop swimming, they can't breathe. They have to be moving to, to yeah. breathe. Uh, and I think performers are the same way. When you stop creating it's really hard to stay alive as a performer when you stop getting better, when you stop improving, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Great point. Um, in regards to resources, uh, you've talked a little bit about, you know, oh, attending yeah. open mic and different, different ways of, of finding of what you do for somebody that was completely new or what resources do you use now? Is there something that you're referenced to you watch a lot of YouTube videos or is it where, what resources or references do you use that other people could, could use to help them uh, potentially start well, out um, in the business? The, uh, I think a mistake a lot of young, uh, young performers are making now is if you're, if you're going to watch stuff online, uh, watch performers that are doing the same uh, type of, of performance that you want to do. You know, if you want to be a live performer every night, that's what I do. I do live stand-up comedy. If I'm watching comedy specials or listening to comedy albums, that's fun for me. And I can learn about joke structure and things like that, but I'm watching something that's edited, you know, that's rehearsed. Yeah. If I want to learn more about live performance, if I could be at a live performance, that would be the best. If I can watch an unedited recording of a live performance, that would be better, right? Than watching something be recorded. Mm -hmm. So, so just be careful, you know, don't try to, don't try to sing the song like the guy sang it in the studio when he was making the radio recording, you know, try to sing the song the way if you're performing it live, uh, you know, a hundred times for a show, try to sing it the way the Broadway performer sings it, you know, try to sing it the way the touring, yeah. you know, act sings it, you know, and, and it's the same for, for stand-up comedy. You know, I have a, you know, I have a comedy, a dry bar comedy special that came out a couple years ago and it's, uh, you can watch it as a young comic and you can learn how to edit a, a recording 
but you're not going to learn anything about live performance watching my dry bar special. Right. And that dry bar special you recorded in 2019 and we will share uh, that. Thank you for doing that. This, thank you. Uh, and it's, and it's no, advertised. Right, you can that, watch that, it for uh, free. They have a commercial that you'll sit through yeah. or something like that. And just a fact for anyone listening, that dry bar comedy uh, channel, it has over 1.25 yeah. million followers. So uh, it's highly watched. So we will put that link in so you can um, go and watch that. Um, the name of your, the show is it? Uh, no, that's, that's not the title. That's just the what they put they on there. The title, the title is actually oh, okay. Mouse. Um, but whatever they want to call it is fine. If you watch it, I think you'll understand. <laughs> yeah, well, we put the link there. I do want to talk about a resource. You asked me about resources. I want to talk about a resource for actors and comedians that I think is getting put yep. by the wayside. And I also want to say that um, I might be 100% wrong about this. Um, I, don't, um, <laughs> I don't write jokes uh, or make notes into a phone or a tablet. I carry a notebook and a pen with me and I hand write things. Um, sometimes if I'm cleaning them up, I will type them into a computer and edit them when I'm creating. And uh, I think that handwriting on paper uh, puts things into your brain in a different way than typing them or saying them into a phone or a computer. And uh, I, when I was doing a lot of acting, I would memorize my lines by handwriting them because it really got them into my head. Uh, whereas typing something doesn't always get the word into your head. Now, this might just be an old guy talking. Young people might do fine typing into their phones, but I think if you're having trouble remembering what to say on stage, if you're having trouble uh, when you edit something or change something and you keep doing it the old way, I think handwriting, handwriting it the way that you want it, crossing out the word you don't want to say anymore uh, is a great way to, to help tighten up your act as a, as a creative, as a performer. I completely agree with you there. I still, when I, when I was learning songs, would always have to. Oh, write if you, if you handwrite all of those words, you also realize Wow, that I have no idea what that word means. <laughs> I should probably go yeah, look that word yeah. up. <laughs> I, I used to, <laughs> I used to try and speed up the process and then uh, do it on paper, but just write the first letter of the each word, so it would look really strange. But I would go through the song fast, but just write the first letter of the word, and then I'd get stumped if I didn't know it, and then I wouldn't know the word. So I found that was a way for me as well. Still, uh, well, I found it helps so much for editing too. A lot of times, you know, when you've been doing something the long way. And they say, ah, you know, that, that four minute part, we only have a minute to do it. So we're just going to do the first part and the last part. It's really hard to cut out something that you've said on stage a hundred times, you know, but if you handwrite it and then cross it out <laughs> and then write it out again without yeah. the middle part, for some reason in my brain, that makes the edit. So I don't accidentally do the part I don't want to say, you know, I've, I've watched videos back just to pay attention to my posture on stage because I used to slouch a lot as a performer and I watched the video back and I said, I'm going to keep, you know, I'm going to keep making marks on this paper every time my posture looks wrong. Yeah. that's a, a And then sometimes it's, it's easier to review. Yeah, for sure. I, I, I kind of did something similar. I doubt I had an awful habit of always looking to the left for some reason, no matter what I was doing, I would sing a little bit. Then I would, uh, then I would look to the left and I never knew I was doing it until uh, I watched it back and got the feedback. And then I'm, you know, watched these videos and like i can't even it was just so many times i was like what am i doing how has that been able to happen for so long so they're great great tools switching up a little bit i want to ask you a question um that relates to the uk and comedy here what do you think of the uk comedy scene whether that be stand-up or our comedy in general do you have a favorite show or comedian i'm gonna get in trouble with uh all of my American comedy friends, uh, when I tell you, I feel, I feel like UK comedy is about is about twenty years ahead of US comedy, as far just as far as uh, as television shows, as far as what stand ups are doing. I feel like the Americans are a little bit behind uh, the UK comedians. I'm a big fan of of UK comedy. I'm a big fan of people like uh, like Peter Kay uh -huh. and. Uh, 
but I was also hugely influenced as a young person, you know, watching like uh, John Cleese, uh, yeah. uh, watching Faulty Towers, watching Great those, those, uh, those television shows in particular, I think are, are, are quite a ways ahead of what, um, what the U.S. is doing uh, as far as uh, uh, comedy wise. You know, usually we, we do our version of one of your situation comedies yeah. <laughs> about 10 years later we try to do our best version of it you know so yeah, I, think, I think you guys are leading the way we're quite i mean britain the uk does uh, is known for for its comedy and i i, I really enjoy it there's there's some great comedy and that i really struggled a little oh. bit when i first went to the states and i was watching comedy i was like why am i not finding this funny it was really just that i didn't know the, know what they were talking about because the references i had no idea because it's specific to maybe the states so it took me a a while to get into it and then really start uh, finding it funny and, and, and getting the humor. Yeah. Amer American comedy is very different and it's actually, it's, it's very tragic for a lot of the UK comedians that are, that are very high level comedians. They, and they have this huge market in America that doesn't get them, right. you know, and that's, that's difficult. Uh, and some of them have bridged that gap. Some of them have, 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 have made it and become big stars in the U S but it's, uh, you know, it's tough to be at that level, uh, you know, and, uh, American comedy, a lot of it is about American, uniquely American references, yeah. you know, um, and a lot of it, and this is going back to the middle, middle-class entertainer thing. A lot of American comedy is people, uh, driving to a place that's less than an hour from their home watching comedians that live within an hour of where they're performing, <laughs> you know? So when, when those comedians make it out of their, make it out of their little home circle, when they make it to a national or international level, they still only have that little local act. <laughs> you know, right. it, doesn't, it doesn't play. They have to adjust. That's funny. Um, <laughs> you know, I can't, you... I can't do jokes about Danville, <laughs> California. No, I would have no idea what you were talking about. I'd be like, what? <laughs> but yeah, it's interesting to, to watch. And as my job now as entertainment director, I mean, I get to watch and review um, the shows uh, all the time. And it's interesting to see each different, say, comic and, and what they bring and, um, but then I see them again and have they implemented or changed something depending on the, that demographic? Because uh, it's so different across the states, the different demographics that you're, you're performing to. So one of my big things when, when comedians that have been doing stand-up for a long time go to cruise ships or something like that and they ask me, oh, what, what should I do? One of the first things I tell them is if anybody gives you a note about your performance, take that note. Don't argue with it. Yeah. And it's good advice for young performers too. Yeah. And it can they're, be, they're, not, it, it they're can... not giving you a note because they're, they want to mess with you. They're not giving you a note because they're jealous of you. They really watched your show yeah, and they really thought you could do this part better. Yeah. And it's, so it's great to the note. It's great for you to, though, when you do have a working relationship with, with somebody who's open to that feedback, it's great. And there are times when we, I have to give feedback, um, you know, and, they, and I love having that relationship with comics when they do come on board and, and they say, they saw me watching the show. So they say, what did you think? Um, you know, and yeah. I'm not going to lie and be like, Oh, that was fantastic. If it wasn't, or there was a bit that didn't work. I'd be like, yeah, I love this, but however, this part didn't really go down. Well, I'm not sure. Maybe it's a demographic. It's always good to, think about that and give that feedback yeah yeah be uh you know be honest uh and be uh be appreciative when you get a note even if the note is wrong yeah you might be like <laughs> you, you know no idea what you're talking about <laughs> but... even if the person giving you the note is wrong be appreciative that they gave you that note and if they're thinking it other people watching your show are thinking it too yeah and so I, I, for me giving notes yeah me for giving feedback to is about the, the right time to i think sometimes after a show it's not always the the best time to give feedback right away because uh, very high functioning right before and right after a show yeah so it's a time, yeah, time right. and place being you're being thoughtful when you say right after the show isn't the time to give notes i think you're being smart you know yeah, I mean, I've experienced it myself over the year, having no, and you, you, it can affect you. It depends, but I think sometimes uh, 
in between shows there is a good opportunity to say hey actually because you know there's a whole process leading up to that performance it could have been something that may have been going wrong many times or not great so you can be like that was good but you know you can actually still do this for the next performance i think it can be both productive and counterproductive it depends on the person and the environment i think and how, how you give the notes yeah exactly and you know and yeah so that's uh but I think I think notes are, are really important. I think there's almost a theme in our interview, and I'm glad about it. But the the theme is that you, whatever level you're at, you can always improve. Yeah. A, as a performer, and I, I, you know, and it's a and a lot of that has to do with taking notes. If you thought your show was perfect, you didn't get any better. <laughs> yeah. That performance didn't make you any better. You know, and if you don't know what's wrong with your show, ask somebody who you trust what you can do to make it better. Yeah, 100%. That's this has been awesome. Great advice. We are I'm kind of uh, anxious of time thinking uh, how we're getting. I do want to ask you a few more questions. Um, what's been your greatest professional achievement this far? Um, my biggest deal, I got very fortunate. I got to tour as, as Cher's opening act for oh, about wow. three years three years. Yeah. That was a, that was a big deal for me because comedians uh, in the U S don't get to play uh, stadium sized crowds very often. And I got, I got very fortunate to end up on that tour. I got to do 125 shows for audiences of like 20,000 people wow. as opposed to, you know, 300 people, which is what comedians usually get. And uh, it was a big deal for me to get that tour and to stay on that tour. I think that was probably uh, probably the biggest deal in my career. And I learned a lot about uh, being professional on that tour, um, just as far as, as day-to-day -day work ethic and as far as, uh, as far as making your show a little bit better every night. I learned a lot of that on that tour. That's amazing. I would have, I would have loved to have seen that. It was a fun show. And it was also, it was also wonderful and horrible <laughs> being part, being part of an evening of performances where you're, you're like the most insignificant part of the entire show, <laughs> you know, like I'm the, I, I'm just like the, uh, you know, I'm the garnish on the plate there. <laughs> Nobody cares whether or not the parsley makes it. To the table. <laughs> uh, so, so, uh, so that's wonderful because there's no pressure on you. But it's also right. it also every now and then you're like I wonder what it's like to be part of that to be other share. part of it. What it's like to be share. <laughs> <laughs> Hilarious. I'll um, tell you. I'll tell you a little bit. Uh, I'll tell you what it's like to be share is very similar. Uh, she would answer a lot of these questions similar to how I am answering them, uh, from what I know from working with her, uh, because she's very proud of how many live performances she's done and very proud of the fact that she's always learning yeah. new stuff and working. I'd on new I would love to know how many performances she has done. That I'm gonna I'm gonna Google that later and see if I can find out. <laughs> <laughs> that's interesting she's still going she retires and still comes back so i'm still oh yeah there's she's some more performances to go um, well she's a she, she's like me i'm gonna i'm gonna as long as one person shows up to the show i'm gonna keep performing till i die awesome that's great what do you wish tommy that you for anyone you know if you could start again what would you wish that you'd known before you start started out in the industry or especially as a comic um, I'm going back to the recurring theme. I wish that I figured out earlier on that it wasn't about talent. Once you got to a certain point that it was about work ethic, you know, I probably wasted, uh, about 10 years of, of stand-up comedy performances where I wasn't working hard enough during the day on my performance. And I wish I could have those years back because I'd be that much further along, you know. And it, it feels like a recurring theme with with people. I'm asking about this. It's it's uh, you know, be true to yourself, be authentic to yourself as well. That's kind of a theme that people have been talking about. If they could go back and start out again, it, it would be like you said. Uh, oh, that's great yeah. advice. And I'm going to take. I'm still not completely 100% myself on stage. I write my performance, I direct my performance, and I am still a different person off stage than I am on. I know that I'm getting more myself every time I get on stage, but I still haven't achieved that be yourself. I think that's great advice. I hope I get there. I really yeah. do. I am still being the guy that I think my audience wants me Want to, be. to be. 
yeah and do you, you know. do you feel like um so say talking about celebrity comics um or some ce- celebrity comedians um, is that is that them? Is that fully them? Like I try and think that when I watch people like um, in the UK, like Graham Norton, someone like this, I'm like, is yeah. that them? Is that unique and that's authentic, or or is it a persona? Do you think there's always uh, going to be some kind of persona to a, a, com- a comedian's performance? Um, for for some of them, it is them. For some of them, it isn't. I could tell you if you if you watch uh, Dave Chappelle, uh-huh. he is pretty much that person off stage. He, he is pretty much himself on stage and off stage. If you watch uh, somebody like Louis C.K., another American comic, he is pretty much himself on stage and off stage. You know, if you watch somebody like Harlan Williams or Gilbert Gottfried, they are being characters on stage. You know, and they're a little bit different off stage. Uh, so I think as far as celebrity comics, you got a little bit of you have a little bit of both. You know, both. I'm trying to. I'm trying to think of other famous comics that I've spent that I've spent time with. Um, you know, there's uh, there's a lot of them, and uh, you know, and, and a lot of them are are pretty authentic. Uh, at least, as far as who you know, I'm not I'm not really close friends with them. But as far as who they who they portray themselves to be off stage, a lot of them are very much are very much that person. Mm-hmm. Okay, quickly, just before I do let you go, um, it's been absolutely awesome. If you could have a dream show or play somewhere, uh, what would it be? Where, where would that? What would that look for you? Ah, that's a that's a great question. I'll tell you, as a as a stand up comedian, I do love performing in a in a bar scene, but getting to do stand up comedy in a small theater environment has to be my favorite thing a theater that holds between uh, maybe 150 and 500 people theater chairs like where you would go to see a stage play where everybody's seated everybody's facing forward um perfect sound and lights and to get uh my own theater in a in a place that people vacation someplace like like las vegas or or new york and get to perform in my own theater every night, that would be my dream. That would be awesome. I would love that too. That would be great. Yeah, wouldn't it be um, great? And maybe live in an apartment just above the theater, you know? Yeah, just live and sleep and <laughs> be over there all the time. <laughs> yeah, that would, that would be awesome. Um, all right, so last question I've got for you. It's for someone that's listening, maybe they are a, you know, an aspiring comic or they're already in the industry. Um, three words that would uh, sum up the advice you would give them in, about getting into uh, the industry. Um, outwork people. That's it. Outwork people. Work outwork harder. Than people. Work Free harder. Work. Than, yeah. work harder than everybody you're competing against. Be more yeah, prepared. I think. Be more prepared is a good. I think, the takeaway I think from this uh, podcast, where it's been fantastic, is all about work ethic and really. Uh, looking at yourself and making sure that you, you know, you, you study yourself, you study your, your craft and you try and improve and you really invest in that part of it to, to make sure that you're successful. I've, I've, I tried to do that as a performer and I I can tell that that's what you do. And I think that's fantastic advice for anybody listening. Yeah. And, and if you honestly don't know what to do to perform, uh, to, to perform better or to, or to do a better job, you know, ask, Ask the people around you. Listen to stuff like this. You know, I think what you're doing is helpful. I hope, I hope that people listening to this that are that are trying to get better have some tools. You know, that they're yeah. gaining from hearing us talk. Perfect. Well, Tommy, thank you so much uh, for everybody listening. I will be posting platforms and things where you can uh, check out Tommy's work. There is TommyDrake.com, and we've also, like you mentioned, his Dry Bar special and the Dry Bar comedy, uh, which I'll be posting as well. Uh, Tommy, it's been an absolute pleasure. Um, I wish you all the best, and I can't wait to see you back on on a ship, hopefully in the future, um, and uh, get to watch some of your shows. So yeah, I hope we get so to much. work work together soon, and I'm looking forward to this project with you. I can't wait to hear these other interviews. I'm very excited about it. Brilliant. Thank you, Tommy. Take care. Okay. Take care, Derek. Thanks again for joining me on Industry Insights with DPDS. 
It's been a pleasure having you. We will see you next week for our next episode where I'll be interviewing more entertainment industry professionals sharing their stories. Until then, you can follow me on Instagram, Facebook, and all the links will be provided in this podcast. Until then, enjoy your morning, afternoon, or evening. And most of all, stay safe.